HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. It's the final stretch of 2022, and HRN needs your help. Our goal for the winter membership drive is to raise $30,000. Become an HRN member with a donation of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Through creative educational reporting, storytelling, and live events, HRN delivers thought-provoking exchanges about the real issues affecting our global food system. Your donation also supports our internship program, an essential part of HRN's work that educates the next generation of journalists. Donate at the $90 level before December 31st and you'll receive a limited-release HRN t-shirt designed exclusively for HRN members by artist Chema Scandal. When you become an HRN member at any level, you'll be the first to know about special events and get news updates created only for Food Radio Insiders. Help us meet our end-of-year fundraising goal with your tax-deductible donation. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate and become a member today. I'm Lou Bang. I'm Chop Ediwan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning, critically acclaimed podcast that helps Green Gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. Yes, and today we're talking about, I think we've touched upon this a few times, Lou. Have we? Yeah, I think we, I mean, we've <laughs> we've complained before about this. I don't know about <laughs> complaining, but so we got, we got a, a, a note from one of our road trippers asking about it, Java. Mm-hmm. Joshua Perez, name checked one of our three listeners, Java. Joshua Perez asked, how does agave nectar, how does the agave nectar industry affect the agave population oh. and the environment? That's tremendously interesting because it's so you, broad too. Why? Well, because that's like that's a to me. How does it affect the um, the agave population? Well, okay, because so now you're talking about what kind of agave is it, where is it grown, all of this stuff, right? And then you're talking about the environment. I mean, that's a that's a lot to talk about. 
Well, yes, but I think the quick, easy answer is how are people making agave syrup? Like, which are the industries that are related to agave syrup and how they're treating this material, right? And that gives you a little bit of the scale of it. Are we consuming mostly artisanal agave syrup when we go to the Whole Foods and buy uh, a bottle of it? Or is it mostly intensively industrial? Uh, boy, that's really... It's, it's interesting you, the way you framed that because I would actually... Look, I don't know what the truth of it is, but I think that, in fact, even the agave uh, syrup, the agave nectar that you see at Whole Foods is is industrially made. Yes. Actually, if we can think about all our trips, it was just until recently that we did find a few families that are starting. I wouldn't say they're like very well-established businesses, but they're starting to maybe speculate about when artisanally made agave syrup will be. But right. I, but as you say, I will do claim that 99.9% of everything that you'll find in the market today was made using a diffuser. Right. Okay. So, so let's back up from that, right? So what is agave nectar? What is agave syrup, right? Uh, I'd like, I'd like to say that it's like the pre, pre-tequila. <laughs> it's the pre-tequila. <laughs> or, that, or, or pre-mezcal. <laughs> Kind of, I guess, kind of, sort of, but like, so my understanding of it is like it's the sugar, but it's been processed, so it's not really pre, right? Well, in the sense, I say pre because that will be the those sugars will be the sugars you will be using for fermentation and then for 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 separating the alcohol from water. So, in the sense, is uh, is the potential? I mean, there's even distilleries that use agave nectar to then make tequila or mezcal or agave spirits, right? Well, at least to make uh, agave spirits, I don't know of anybody making a certified tequila that's going from nectar. Is that even possible? What? To use agave nectar and do a certified tequila. Uh, Oh, does does that? Yeah, of course it would be. Yeah, no, that would be acceptable under the gnome. Okay. As long as the sugars come from agave, I guess it doesn't matter what form they take. <laughs> or are you, are, like, are, are, are you talking about, is it, well, clearly it's possible to do because we know people. We're just getting in a rabbit hole that doesn't, okay. yeah, 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 doesn't yeah, yeah. serve okay. any of the purposes of this episode. But, but, <laughs> but I think the point that you're getting at is that you've got the vast majority of agave nectar, if not 100% of the agave nectar that's on the market, at least in the USA, I don't know about the rest of the world, but at least in the USA, uh, comes from monoculture Blue Weber agave, and it's part. It's tied to the tequila industry, and it's and it tends to be made using that diffuser, that industrial process of shredding the raw agave and hitting it with enzymes, um, chemical Acid, enzymes, acids, yeah, acids. Are acids not enzymes? Is that a different thing? Uh, well, yes, that's a different thing. Uh, they're basically trying to break the sugars with uh, heat. It doesn't necessarily have to use the acid. That specific design of diffuser, in my understanding. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's, it goes through the diffuser. So let's, okay, so let's stop there for a second, right? To, to speak very specifically to Joshua's question, how is that affecting the agave population? You know, there was a, there was a ban on agave nectar uh, amongst some bartenders in the USA because they felt like uh, the agave should be used to make spirits, to use, used to make tequila instead of nectar. Wait, 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 really? 
But I, I like <laughs> no, that, that 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 is slightly confounding to me because uh, you know I think that a bunch of the people that I've met in the craft cocktail context, they're actually extremely interested in the agave syrup because it, they can use it as a sweetening agent that has uh, easier conversation with some of the other agave products that they have at hand. Oh, so I, the, I so I this get is, what you're this saying. Is, this is slightly surprising to me because I. Uh, I mean, what is more important? Uh, the, like, I mean, for me to sweeten something, it's one of the bases of civilization, right? Like, like sweeteners have been such a big important parts of every civilization if you explore the world, and alcohol too. So for me, they're in the same level or the same uh, level of importance, if you wish. Sure. Okay. Oh, but but no, I'm telling you, there absolutely was a ban amongst some, like, you know, you can't say people, everybody. Sure. Yeah. It was more than 10 people. But, you, you, you know, it's impossible to say it was everybody. Clearly it wasn't. Um, but no, there was a very big movement. I'm God, I'm guessing it was maybe. On Facebook? <laughs> it, no, I mean, this was maybe eight, nine years ago uh, that that was the big movement. and And the idea that somehow... Um, it was a moral choice to use Blue Weber monoculture agave for agave nectar versus tequila seems odd to me, but that was that's the reality of things. Okay. So, so yeah. I, I think that you and I aren't going to disagree on whether or not it's immoral to use it for agave nectar over tequila, right? And uh, I, I think I did not understand the question. In other uh, words, okay, that that I mean. If you are using the same agricultural practices, if you're using almost the same technique to transform that raw material into something, be it tequila, agave nectar, or whatever other like product that you can imagine or that we might create in the future, facial creams, uh, UV protector, I don't care. If you're using the same practices to the one or the other, they're having the same impact on the environment, correct? Yeah, it would seem to me for sure. Right. And the idea that uh, that you might be depleting the population of agave that could be used to make tequila, like if you can use it to make tequila that's going to sell for more money, then you know, that's the choice of the farmer. I like I don't I don't see that as a moral choice. I see that as a business choice. Okay, so that I mean, if we both agree on that, we will not spend more time of that because agreeing is boring. Then what, <laughs> <laughs> then what, what else do we have on the plate of this? Right. Uh, well, I think it goes back to what you were saying about the fact that there's this other way to make agave nectar that we ran across on our recent trip through Hidalgo. And Tlaxcala. And Tlaxcala. <laughs> Correct. And uh, we ju- we are currently, right now, It's uh, we're in October, right? October 2022. Uh, yes. <laughs> and we've been touring the US of A, the southeast side of the US of A for the last week. And with us, we had a plastic bottle with agave, what we're calling, or you're starting to call, heritage agave syrup. <laughs> Roy, mainly because it makes me laugh. I, I want some serious sounds. Uh, Heritage agave syrup. Correct. And uh, this, I mean, we're making fun of it, but it was tremendously exciting to me because we went into this, I, I, I will say, I'm using the word tour a lot, but I guess that's what we do, road trip, tours, whatever. And we went to these people that are mostly pulque makers, but they acknowledge that pulque is a tremendously elusive drink. 
and it has a very compact uh, shelf life, uh, though it's never going to be on the shelf. And they're trying to do secondary project products in order to have stuff that it's more long-lived. And amongst one of these products that they're starting to do is to take the agua miel, the honey mar- water. We explained this a few times in other episodes, honey water. So I'm not gonna try to go into that. Nah, I don't go yeah, into I won't delve it. If you into don't that. know about it, look I, at one yeah, of the other Pulque yeah, yeah. episodes. Yeah, but like agua miel, honey water. They're gonna be collecting that. And honey water, again, I always say it's one of the proofs that uh love God loves us. And it has a very amazing or, or Maya well. Or whoever is up there down there, we don't know. Uh it has the perfect combination or the perfect ratio of water versus sugars in order to make it a very friendly to yeast. It's it's made to ferment. It's made to make alcohol. But if you evaporate a bunch of the water that is available there, you're going to make it extremely sweet. You're making a nectar, a honey, a denser honey. A syrup. A syrup. And that is not going to be prompt to ferment as easily because yeasts are very picky entities. So if there's too much sugar, they're going to get an OD, they're going to get really fat really fast, and they (laughs) won't be able to create alcohol. So this is what these guys are doing in a nutshell. Right. And and so the idea that there's this other industry, an industry feels like too big a word for what we've seen, but this other potential, I guess, for agave nectar that, you know, when we were looking at it, it was coming from, well, I, actually, I, I was going to say almost exclusively Salmianas, but I don't think that's true, was it? Uh, no, yes. It was? It was. Okay. Exclusively different varietals. Mm-hmm. Salmiana, Salmiana Crassispina, Salmiana Variedad Salmiana, and I'm missing like two or three, but... But you could also get it from Inakinans and all these other... Well, Inakinans, yes. Tepesta, well, Marmoratas, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all these other agaves that have been used to make pulque, if they can make pulque, clearly they can make aguamiel. If they can make aguamiel, clearly you can make syrup. Yes. And... I mean, I know we're having this conversation in the morning. You hate talking about flavor, but oh <laughs> lord, this thing is delicious. Well, this it, thing is amazing. It, it, it is, and to me, the thing that I found interesting is, in the same way that you and I can taste through a bunch of different uh, agave spirits or taste through a bunch of pulques that are made from different agaves by different people, you get these different flavors. It was the same thing with the syrups, which was interesting to me because you think of well i think of syrup as being generally a, a homogeneous thing they all taste kind of the same mm. and this one really really has complexity to it and we actually had two different syrups that we collected in two different tinacales three different syrups three different syrups oh gaspareña uh, la loba and which other uh then the one that i didn't go in because we were pretending i had explosive diarrhea oh they also give us a syrup yeah los tuzos uh, wow. with, the little, with the little rabbit on the yeah, label. Yeah, that's yeah, all I can yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. that's pretty cool. Wow, okay, so we have <laughs> enough for an actual tasting. That's great. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. It, it's, it's been a whirlwind lately. So uh, I hadn't had the chance to really look into our bounties. But, you know, but I would also say, and, and so you, you just picked up 150 liters or something of the syrup, right? Yes, well, I from, was... From, from one family. From La Gasparina, yes, correct. And 
didn't you tell me that they had separated it by batch? Yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Man, I, that, that was such a happy moment for me. So they, they arrived to where we now have uh, the sacred warehouse, sacred Agaburoche warehouse, <laughs> which its location shall not be disclosed due to security. I mean, I will I will go and try to rough that warehouse myself. But uh, they, they told me, it's like, okay, here's your, I can't remember how many hundreds of like a hundred and change liters. And like, but be very careful not to mix them because this was made during the winter and this was made during the summer. And the winter is more guero. It's a little bit uh, lighter in color. And the other one is darker. And it, it's like honey. It's like honey and, of different you, seasons. And you tasted the two of them, yeah? Yes. I mean, both are extremely delicious. Uh, I, I My palate is still not to the point where I can describe them with fluency, but <laughs> they are they are distinct. You can, there you, you go. You distinct can, and delicious. That's all I care okay, about. There you go. Right? Yeah. So, you know, to get back to uh, to Joshua's question, though, like, okay, let's talk about the environment, right? And if what, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to approach environmental issues, but one of them is, you know, monocultures aren't good. Monocultures can collapse. Monocultures, particularly when you're talking about Jalisco and Blue Weber, start wiping out all these and diverse... Michoacan, I mean, that's the thing is Jalisco and Michoacan in that monoculture of Blue Weber. Right. Uh, so, really, not yet, so, but yeah, you're, yes. but you're, you're, so you're talking about wiping out all of the, the diversity of plants, not just agave, but all the other plants that would have grown on those wild lands until they became Blue Weber monoculture and farms. most likely than not using intensive, I mean, there's some agave nectars that I've seen that are uh, created as organic, but uh, I, I love... Yeah, I, I I wonder I wonder a about the certification. B, is it just organic in terms of how the agave was grown versus how it was processed? Like I got a lot of questions. Is it there's no legal definition of agave nectar? There's no gnome that I know of. Uh, so is it really a hundred percent agave? Did they maybe supplement with another kind of syrup? Yeah, and I mean, and talking the agricultural practices, I mean. One part is the monoculture. The other one is using aggressive amounts of fertilizers, pesticides, and whatnot. That when you're doing something that that scale, uh, there's a good chance that that's part of the equation. And Whereas when you go to these families, yeah, it's a whole different world. I mean, tiny scale. Oh man, it was it was so exciting to be with them because I, I was really able to contemplate how ignorant I am and just how vast these traditions that we're trying to map are. And just the fact that they, they just tradition the way they plant, they leave a, like huge highways in the middle of each uh, agave row just for other things to grow in there. And even if they don't grow other stuff on purpose, they're leaving that land alone for whatever has the chance to 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 thrive there to do so, right? Yeah. And and even I mean even them they were telling us about some of the complexities they're going through. And I know this is not part of the question specifically nectar, but I think it's interesting to see some of the compli- the agricultural complications in the whole context of agave. They were telling us that a bunch of people they decided to go into barley in that area. They started to plant barley for the beer industry instead of their agave for pulque. And at the beginning, they thought they were making more money, but the land will get so depleted by using barley that then in the fourth year, their yields were tiny. So they were spending a lot of money in fertilizers. 
And I mean, this is interesting to me because it seems that heritage, like you, you know, to to plant your 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 pulque uh, plants, it's a long term investment. Sure, it's it's a long term strategy to have a healthy relationship with your land. Whereas the others seem that they're a little bit more short-lived. At least in the case of barley, that was confirmed to us. In the case of monoculture of a, of a blue pepper, I, we, I, I personally do not have enough information to claim so. So, you know, I, I, to, to actually pull that, that idea back to the original concept, right? The original question about the environment. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I hesitate in the same way that I hesitate uh, to say uh, to anybody, you know, don't drink Blue Weber monoculture tequila because realistically, if we're trying to uh, resolve worldwide demand, that's the only way to do it. Um, but I do very much champion the idea of, okay, there's going to be that, but then let's make sure that we don't lose sight of of these small producers who are doing things in a, in a far more sustainable way. And, and we do that by consuming their agave spirits. And I, I think you could say the same, at least I would say the same thing about, um, about agave nectar and agave syrup. I think, I think it's unrealistic to expect that as ter- in terms of using sweeteners to make cocktails that, that bartenders shouldn't use, uh, the commercially made agave mm. nectar. Realistically, I, I you know, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. but yeah. but I think if we start seeing more people move toward, it's just it's just even some small one percent, two percent people moving toward using this kind of heritage agave nectar. Not only do you get something that I think is is more interesting, but you also are supporting these families. Mm who right now might need that support because otherwise they might move to barley because it's a short-term answer. Yes. And I, I also, you know, I talk, I, I haven't had access to too many uh, cocktail experts in my life, but every time I, I meet one of them that I really respect, they're really trying to honor the the spirit that is in their cocktail. And I think that this is another way, this is another tool to really honor the traditions, the places, and the spirits that are in your cocktail. Yeah. And I mean, that that's just... Uh... Great. So now, for all the bartenders who are in, where can they get this, Chava? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, they, they, oh, Lord. In it's... Mexico, in my house in Mexico City, uh, that's go. the first answer. Uh, the second answer is we're going to hide 100 bottles around Chapulte <laughs> now. Uh, yeah, we don't know. We still don't know. Yeah, we don't know. I, you know, I, 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 I'm very, as you know, I'm very um, nervous. Wait, wait, and we don't know because we don't know anybody that is commercializing this currently, uh, but we have but, some. Yeah, we, we <laughs> have some. And I saw some at Rare Tea Cellar. What I'm pretty sure is that at Rare Tea Cellar in Chicago um, a while back. But uh, in terms of getting it in bulk to be used in bars, I haven't seen it yet, and I hope I hope that that changes. Um, but I also hope that in the same way that we see bartenders and agave enthusiasts running down to Mexico to get spirits, you know, these trips we took weren't so far away to to, to the place uh, now we're, and now we're so in away half from, away from Mexico City. Exactly. So you know, the next time if if you're if you're a Gringax bartender and you're heading to uh, yeah. to Mexico to visit the the men and women who make heritage agave spirits, 
man, take a detour for a day, maybe two days, and and go visit these families and come back with this amazing syrup. You can, you know, there's there's limits depending on what state you live in. There are limits to how much you can bring back for spirits, but I don't know of any <laughs> state that's limiting how much how much agave nectar you can bring back. Yeah, I mean, this last time that I traveled, they asked me. I think it was American if I had any food products that I had packaged myself. I uh, just need to make them look like you didn't package them yourself. And I think you'll be good. There you go. Okay, I, well, I think I think that's a wrap then, Chava. I think that's a wrap indeed, Senor Lu. Uh, it was a delightful breakfast we had today at the Waffle House. Thanks. Adios. <laughs> this has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lu Bank and Chava Periban. Sound Engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.